It's a real joy to be here this morning again, especially for, for me too. I was uh, quite sick with a cold for a few days and with a little bit of fever. And there's one thing I hate to do, to call someone else in the last minute to say, please, would you take over? So I praise the Lord and I'm able to speak and I simply praise that the Lord may bless us and bless this message uh, as he blessed me when I was preparing this uh, message. This morning we will uh, start with a new series of studies and it will be on the Holy Spirit. And as we will learn more about the person of the Holy Spirit, we will be in special need of your prayer. We will talk about wonderful themes, themes like the Holy Spirit and the new birth in the coming weeks, or the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and evangelism, the Holy Spirit and the future, and some others. I believe that there is a tremendous need today concerning the teaching of the Holy Spirit. There is a great lack in the churches of our day because many churches are not giving the Holy Spirit the rightful place in the church. And one ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't have the rightful place in our church, then we will be dead very soon, spiritually dead. But there are others which are overemphasizing some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit which they already might have received, sometimes even without knowing it or realizing it. As I said before, we need very much your prayer, that we may understand something of this wonderful person, the Holy Spirit, and his wonderful ministry to us. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are moving on holy ground. And since there is so much confusion concerning the Holy Spirit in our time, we completely take the Word of God as our only guidebook and if we fail to do that then we only add to the confusion which is already there. But our God is a God of truth and there is no confusion in Him. The confusion which exists comes only where men in their pride and in their unregenerated hearts put the word of God aside. You know it says in 2 Timothy 4, 4, for there will be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fable. So the confusion is always on the side of man. But if we humble ourselves 
before God and we take the teaching of the word of God, we never will be confused. For the word of God says clearly in 1 Corinthians 2.10, the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So from God's side, there is never confusion. The confusion is caused by man. But as we start this morning our series, of course we can talk only about some basic and fundamental truths concerning the Holy Spirit. Let us turn to our text now and let's open our Bibles to John 14. <clears throat> John 14. And let's read together from uh, 16 to 18. This is now the Lord Jesus talking shortly before he goes to Calvary and he talks to his disciples. And this is what he says. Let's read together chapter 14 from 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knoweth him, but he know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Then let's turn over a couple of pages to John 16. John 16. Let's read verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And then let's read from 13 to 15. How bite when he the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So far. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to thee now in the name of our Lord Jesus and thank thee that we have this door open. That we can call thee Father through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son. And Father, as we open thy word this morning, we pray that thou might move mightily among us in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Father, for we believe with all our heart all what thou hast said in thy word concerning the Holy Spirit. O Father, and I pray that thou might bless us, 
each and every heart this morning that we listen to thy word with an open mind and that we take thy teaching into our hearts and that thou bless this dear people as thou hast blessed me when I looked into thy word concerning the Holy Spirit, Father. Glorify thy name among us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing, the very first thing I want to make clear this morning concerning the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an influence or is something which proceeds from God to us. He is not, or it is not a physiological term or nor a theological dogma. And here is where much confusion is in this world. In this church where I belonged to before I came to this church, we had a deacon and he caused a lot of confusion in the church, in our board meetings, because of his teaching that Jesus was not God, that there is no Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is no person, that is just God's mind stretching out from God to us. So let us make it very clear and take the testimony of the Bible that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Word of God speaks to us and here Jesus uses use a name for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter which in a way should make it very clear to us that he is talking about a person. The Holy Spirit is a person as much as God the Father and God the Son. He is a person as much as you are and as I am. And here we touch upon the doctrine of the Trinity. This is a wonderful and, in a way, a saving truth. A truth which is denied by many so-called Christian churches and throughout Christianity today. I'm sure that you know some of the denominations in our time which deny the Trinity or that Jesus is God or that the Holy Spirit is a person. You will name some. And Jehovah's Witnesses denying this truth. Or the Unitarians and the Christian Science. And all the liberal groups, they are denying this wonderful truth concerning the Trinity. And we should make it very clear because they deny this truth given by God and unfold in the Holy Scripture, these people are unsaved to the uttermost. 
if they don't see in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who came without sin to be made sin for us. And the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. And in their proud hearts, they put it aside and take in their own philosophy. philosophy. They are never saved. And they belong to this group of which the Lord Jesus said, and they call me Lord, Lord. And not all which say Lord, Lord will enter into the, in the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. Of course, we don't find the term Trinity in the Holy Scripture, but it expresses in a wonderful way the truth concerning the three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Three persons, but one God. Trinity simply means threefold, three in one. And this term undoubtedly arose or was formed in the need of the early church to express this wonderful truth which was unfolding in the Holy Scripture. Trinity is divine truth. It is a truth which never could be conceived in man's mind. It can't be explained. The natural man never can understand it nor grab it. But we simply take it by faith. And the same is true concerning the two natures of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two natures, but one person, as he is completely, fully God, so is he completely man. It's wonderful that the Lord has opened our eyes, the Holy Spirit, that we see this wonderful truth. Just think of a moment this well-known verses about this well-known verses in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in verse 3 of the Gospel of John we read, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 12, we see that the eternal word of God becomes flesh. And it says, and the word, of which is said in the first verse that it is God. And the word of God, and God was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or let us think for a moment, it's also wonderful verse, what verses in Isaiah, let me just think of one particular, in Isaiah 9, 6, concerning the Messiah, 
concerning his personality. And this is what it says. For unto us, written about 500 years before the coming of the Lord, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I remember at one Christmas message I had to bring in our church where I was before, that this very deacon I was talking about came to me when I took this verse as my base for Christmas message. Oh, he said, brother, you have to learn a lot. That's what he said to me. There's no trinity. You never will find it in the Bible. But how can we understand this here? It is the word of God speaks about the Son, the very Son of God. And he is called the mighty God. The everlasting Father. And then we hear Jesus say in the New Testament to his disciples, I and the Father are one. Do we understand? It's impossible. Naturally. But by faith, we take it. Who would be able to explain this wonderful truth? And as I said before, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we stand on holy ground. By faith, we take this truth. It is said for about Augustine, this early church father, a brilliant mind said one evening, and you might know this story, he was walking along the seashore, deeply absorbed in thoughts concerning the Trinity. How can Jesus be God? Or the Holy Spirit be a person? And as he was in deep thought walking along the seashore, he sees a little lad digging a trench in the sand and filling it with water when some of the waves came close enough to him. And Augustine stepped to his side and said, My dear lad, what are you doing? The lad looked up and he said, I'm collecting the sea into my trench. And Augustine said, How can this be? Look at the sea. How can you ever make it? And as he walked away, he thought to himself, Isn't it, Is this not the very thing I'm trying to do? to collect God into my limited understanding and my limited mind. And at that moment he took it by faith and said, God, you said in your word, and I take it, and I don't argue about it. And he was a great blessing through his writings and teachings and preaching in the early church of Jesus Christ. Think of my own experience. I always wanted to understand God, and this is what bothered me too. How can Jesus be God? 
How could he die on Calvary's cross and be God? How can the Holy Spirit be a person? Doesn't it say in the Old Testament here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, is one Lord? And I couldn't grab it and I couldn't understand it. But God spoke to me in this one verse, louder and louder, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. And that certain night when I saw the Lord Jesus with my sin going to Calvary's cross, and I gave my heart to him, weeks later, I saw this and says, Wonderful. The doubts are gone. All this tormenting thoughts concerning the Godhead, then I was able to take it by faith. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in me, as he is in every believer. And although the mystery of the Trinity is not fully revealed in the Old Testament, yet this truth gradually unfolds more and more as we read through the Old Testament and come to the New Testament. It is like the rising sun in the east when we read through the Holy Word of God. We see how it, much, uh, how it comes more clearer from page to page. And of course we could spend hours talking about this but the time is so short. For instance, we have only two English forms which we use for God. This is God and Lord. But the original Hebrew has about eight to ten terms expressing God. El, Elah, Elohim, Jehovah, and so on. For instance, the very first name God written in the Bible, the very first verse, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Here is God expressed in the Hebrew term Elohim. And this term Elohim is a term in the plural. It is a plural noun. And this word for God Elohim is used more than 500 times in the Old Testament. What does plural mean? Simply more than one. Correct? This is plural. But we know that there are not more than three as the word of God unfolds this wonderful truth concerning the Trinity. In Genesis 1, 26, we see that, Lord, that God speaks to himself and says, Let us make man after our own image and in our likeness. Plural again. Let us make. And then after the fall, we find this in Genesis 3:22. The man is become one of us. 
again plural, become one of us. But coming back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, the Trinity, created the heaven and the earth. Doesn't this wonderful fit and go together with that what Paul says in the power of the Holy Spirit in Hebrew 1.12 concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also he made the world. Through Jesus Christ. But let me say just a few things uh, about the word about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There were some outstanding men filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are many. And they are individuals. And the Holy Spirit always works with individuals or with minorities, with small groups. And I only want to mention two. First, I think of Moses. The entire Egyptian realm was against the children of God, the children of Israel. But he let them out because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think a moment of Elijah the whole nation against him and he alone facing the king and his evil wife Jezebel and all the prophets of Baal of Baal how could he do it? Simply because he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit God gave him victory. But when we come to the New Testament, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in such a way as never before. The Holy Spirit is the person who forms the Church of God, the Church of Jesus Christ, which is otherwise called the body of Jesus Christ. He forms the spiritual house of God, the temple. Remember that God's uh, uh, prophecy was that the temple should be desolate one day. And then we have this wonderful picture in the New Testament. And we find this in Ephesians. That the Holy Spirit takes living stones, you and me, here and there, throughout the world, and puts them together and builds a spiritual house where he dwells. The Holy Spirit and Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. Then think a moment of this, uh, the handful of disciples. We find them in John 20, 19, just after the crucifixion, where it is said that they, because of the fears for the Jews, locked themselves in. It says in 20, 19, John, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. 
then think a moment of this, how this picture changes. In uh, Acts 2, 1, 4, when now the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and when then the power of the Holy Spirit step out into this world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they fill the whole world with the power of the gospel, which is the power of God to save. Just let's look into Acts, the first chapter. We see them again assembled and the Lord Jesus in their midst. And there the Lord says to them, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, he have heard of me. And then on the next page in chapter 2, we see, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And so on, and they were all filled in verse 4 with the Holy Ghost. And then the doors were opened, and in faith and in power of the Holy Spirit, they step out into this world. How can you explain it that a handful of fearful disciples, simple men, become such a force, filling this world with the power of God, with the power of salvation in the Holy Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit. As I said, the Church of Jesus Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this, when Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, he simply says to us that he is coming, as we read in our text, that he is coming in the person of the Holy Spirit to us. And that he is with us in the person of of the Holy Spirit. Didn't he say in our text in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. And this he did in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's good that I go. If I don't go, the comforter cannot come. For the simple reason that Jesus physically was confined to this part in the world which is called Palestine. But as he went back to the Father, the Holy Spirit came to the church of Jesus Christ. And now he dwells in our hearts. And so Jesus could come to us and be with us every day. And so we see in our text in John 16 to 15 this wonderful truth of the Trinity where it says all things that the Father has are mine. The Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he, the Holy Spirit, shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. I and the Father are one. So when we say that Jesus is in this world, then we simply mean that he is here 
and the person of the Holy Spirit. When we hear, for instance, a mighty sermon, spirit-filled, and we say after a sermon, Jesus spoke to me this morning, we of course don't mean quite that. We mean that the Holy Spirit spoke to us and that Jesus spoke to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in every believer. Let no one confuse us. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. It is utterly impossible to become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But many people are confused. It happened to us the last time we were on visitation. Dear Andy uh, Coulter was with me, and the whole evening we spent with two families witnessing to them. And by the way, two of so both families came to our church the following Sunday, that was the last Sunday. So the Lord is wonderful and just great. And, uh, but this one family we visited, they were believers, and they said we listen a lot to all Robertson, and these dear people, they were very much confused. They didn't really have the assurance of salvation, and they when we talked about the assurance of salvation, they interrupted us quite a few times and they said, but must we not have a second experience? Must we not be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to be really saved? And the Holy Spirit led us to this verse and we showed it to them. John 1.12 It says, as many as received him to them gave he the power, the privilege to become children of God. And we asked him, did you believe? Do you believe? Oh, we believe with all our heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we said then, since Jesus is not divided, and God is not divided, then the Holy Spirit is in you. For it is an impossibility to receive Jesus into our hearts without the Holy Spirit. But of course it might well be that we lack the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if we lack the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to blame simply ourselves. For let me make it very clear that the Holy Spirit wants and he yearns and he longs and he is anxious and he is only too ready to fill every child of God with his fullness. May I say that again? The Holy Spirit wants and yearns and longs and is anxious and is ready to fill every every child of God with his fullness. But it only can happen if we really surrender our lives 
to our Lord Jesus and give the Holy Spirit the rightful place in our life. If we let go, there will be that daily struggle every day. For we are still in the flesh and even the most spiritual filled person knows how true that is. Never will anyone be able to say I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and I stay above all the temptations and I am completely in the will of God. And especially the greatest man of God was a humble and confessed that there was a tremendous struggle in their hearts going on every day. May not one be there who confuses us with that in telling us that we are lacking a lot and that they are on a higher level because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. We live in most important days of human history. I believe with all my heart that these are the last days. And the darkness, the spiritual darkness, is growing darker by the hour. And we have great opportunities. Opportunities which we never had before, really. We see it on our visitation program those which are going out, they will confirm this, that many doors are open because the confusion is growing by the hour. And many Catholics' doors are open, Jewish homes. You don't have today any more this difficult to tell them how evil the world is. and they are wonderful opportunities. There will be a day when the Holy Spirit, who is here in this world, will be taken away. We read about this in Second, in second Thessalonians 2.7. And this will happen this very moment when Jesus Christ comes for his own. The Holy Spirit, which dwells and the church of Jesus Christ will be taken with the church. And then is the stage set and the stage is free for the judgments of God which will surely come. Doesn't it say in uh, John 5, 24 we have this wonderful verse which everyone knows by heart Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. You know, I never can forget this picture when I was the very first time in my life out on Niagara Falls. You know, and we came later in the evening and... Uh, you know, very close to the falls, and you, you go to the motel, and all night long I heard this, you know, thundering uh, noise, you know, the water's falling down. And I w was so anxious, you know, to get out in the morning and to see it with my eyes, you know, all this water coming down. And uh, before my family woke up, you know, 
I got dressed and went into my car and went over to, I think, Goat Island, is it called, isn't it? And I climbed through the rocks, you know, and I was the only one there. I didn't see anyone else. It was just daybreak. And there I was alone, and it is tremendous, you know. You look up and see, you see the waters coming down. And then you see this increasing speed of the water, the water rushing down, and then all of a sudden it goes over the edge, and down it goes. And I couldn't help but think of our time, tremendous time we are living in. For we are already in those rushing waters, facing the judgment of God. And I'm talking about this world. And there's only but way, one way out. Not to go over that edge. It is just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the world is already in those rapids. In a condition where there is no return. And no one can make it by himself. We have to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. For this was a mighty message. On Pentecostal day, you know, when by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter and the disciples went out and the door was open. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May no one be here who will not put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for the teaching of the word of God. Father, we thank thee for the Holy Spirit who reveals to us thy love in Jesus Christ. Father, we would never have made it. And as thy word says, all have sinned and don't reach the glory of God. Father, we see the impossibility Father, we are already in the rapids at a point of no return. But we thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us from the coming judgment and has taken, taken us out of darkness and put us in his light. Father, we are safe because the Lord Jesus said so. Whosoever believes in me has eternal life. Present tense, Father, we thank thee for it, for we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ completely. And we praise thee and we thank thee for the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross, which is the only means to save us. Father, we thank thee that thou hast saved us. And if anyone is here this morning, O oh, Father, we intercede that thou might speak to this person and said this morning he will stretch out his hand and grab the that he may call on the name of the Lord this very moment. Be with us this day. Bless us as we are going to fellowship together 
Bless thy word, give our dear pastor great freedom and joy in the Holy Spirit to bring thy word this morning, O Lord, and be with us throughout the whole day. And we thank thee for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 